My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. I'm Eric Vespi. I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. Today we are talking to one of the stars of CBS All Access's new series based on Stephen King's The Stand. You'll know him from his work in films like Paper Towns, Death Note, and recently Immortal and Body Cam. In the stand, he plays Randall Flagg's right-hand man, Lloyd Henry. Please welcome Nat Wolf to the KingCast stage. Hello, Nat. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm doing good. It's actually my, my birthday here in Australia. We saw this right before we recorded with you, but it said tomorrow because we're... In- it is. Well, tomorrow, tomorrow, I guess I was born in the States, so tomorrow is my real birthday. But at least for, uh, you know, now that I'm in Australia, it's... it's uh, it's my birthday. I didn't know you were in Australia. What are you doing? Are you making making a movie or something? No, I'm um, here visiting my my girlfriend who's who's working here, and and I I feel a little guilty because it's you know it's just I mean back where, back in L.A. it's just so horrible and 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 right. uh, and you know all through the country, but here they actually take care of the people in their country. So they you know they put anybody who comes into the you know into Australia into a quarantine for two weeks and then they come right. out and now there's no covid anywhere so you can you know you can kind of do anything they have concerts they have this and that so it's it's just shows how ridiculously incompetent our government was in handling this can you imagine going to a con i would i would kill to go to a concert right now oh my I god i went to i went to a beatles revival where it was these two australian guys doing a doing beatles songs and and it was, you know, I was, I was like pretty much crying before the music started. I was just so happy, being a group of people, you know. Um, right. <laughs> I, I've seen, I've seen Paul McCartney live a few times, and that is as close to a religious experience, like seeing God kind of religious experience I've ever had. Is when he plays Hey Jude, and there was like, you know, he's playing stadiums like the MGM Grand or something, and it's like twenty thousand people singing along at the same time it is it's kind of like you know for film nerds it's like when all those people are like in the desert in close encounters and they're all doing the the at the same time it's this weird like communal thing that like it does it gives me shivers just thinking about it and you know in this year that everybody on my my 12th birthday i mean i'm an obsessive beatles fan so on my 12th birthday i saw paul mccartney at, at madison square garden you know like way up in the nosebleeds type thing and it was the best night of my life and then i got to go to when when um i think when uh i was in this movie palo alto and that was coming out somehow i got invited to go to a PETA event and i went and uh and paul mccartney uh played for like a hundred people and i got to see him playing a hundred people and then he said you know are you guys all gonna be uh vegetarian you know being vegetarian is good and i was like Yes, I am. Suddenly, I became a vegetarian. Paul <laughs> <laughs> McCartney told me to, and I just sort of obeyed. And then about a year ago, you know, I'd been writing notes to Paul McCartney my whole life and, like, you know, just imagining what I'd say if I met him. And then a year ago, I was sitting at a restaurant right next to him, and uh, I saw him, and, my, and we were sitting down, and my friend was like, I have to tell you something. Sit down. And I thought something awful had happened or something. He's like, Paul McCartney's at the table with Jason. I'm like, oh, no. My God. 
And then I just I burst into tears like a 13 year old girl in the city. <laughs> and started crying right into my food. And then I went up to him and I just, you know, thanked him so much. And I've met people that I've looked up to before and almost always it's a disappointment. He could not have been cooler, nicer, more magical. It was just it was like, you know, it couldn't have been better. Do you want to hear an awkward story? A very awkward story? I always want to hear a very awkward story. Uh, so this was a story. My mom is the biggest Paul McCartney. She's been, she like followed wings on tour. Like she was a oh, frustrated cool. hippie in the sixties. She was a Beatle maniac girl. Uh, right. she really wanted to be a hippie in the sixties, but her parents wouldn't let her, you know, that, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and, uh, she decided, uh, about 10 or so years ago, well into my adulthood, she decided to tell me, a story that I kind of wish she'd kept to herself, but if she told me, holy shit, is Paul McCartney, your dad. <laughs> if, if I have to live with this, you have to live with it. So she told me that she went to the Cow Palace in the Bay Area. Um, she went to the Cow Palace to see Paul McCartney in his first tour in the seventies, where he was singing Beatles songs again. Oh my god! Um, and. Uh, the way that that worked back then, it wasn't you buy a ticket and you sit in a seat. It was kind of a first come, first serve thing. So she right. like did the Comic-Con thing, waited in line, you know, overnight. So she she was right up on the stage. And he, you know, he's singing a song. She has her, her uh, elbows up on the stage, you know, I'm sure being the, you know, 19, you know, 20 year old, you know, just doe eyed person. And he sits down next to her, like his legs hanging off the stage. How um, hot your mom was or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was was concerned as well. (laughs) How dare you for one. And I'm sure, I'm sure you said it was going to be awkward. So that would have been, well, the awkwardness is is coming here in a second. Okay. okay. Um, So like she's freaking out. He sits down right next to her. Her elbow is touching his knee. And he he sings, and he sings yesterday. (gasps) Uh, And this is the first time that he's, he's sung this since the Beatles broke up. And he's looking at her as he's singing the song, like looking in her eyes. And then she's, then she told me, uh, and I came right there. And I'm just like, mom, you can't, you you can't ever tell me about, (laughs) about, about you, you coming. So there's. There, there you go. There's, uh, there. It's now out in the world. It's not just in my head. Oh fuck, that was good. That wording. She used that wording. Yeah. Yep. It would have been even worse if she said, "I reached climax." (laughs) Like that would, you know. You have a, you have a therapist. Uh, No, that's you guys. That's you guys right now. So. (laughs) Wow, that is that is an amazing that is an amazing story. I, I mean, yeah. I get it. I get it. He's ma- he's magic. He's like a he's a magical person. Right. Yeah. So you didn't have any orgasmic experiences with Paul McCartney is what I'm saying. Right. Oh, no, I did. But I knew we were on a podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell that story in your pajamas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this I don't know how to segue from that to the stand, but God damn it, we're going to try. What, what's your Stephen King origin story? Right? You... That's a really good one. And I yeah. honestly, I kept thinking, oh, this is not going to be as crazy as he is saying it's going to be. And then it <laughs> right. <really> was. <laughs> the payoff was ex- ex- exceptional. I can't believe you haven't told me that story before. I love this story. I know. But uh, yeah, now it's time for you to talk about your Stephen King origin story with or without orgasms. <laughs> It's with so, a lot of orgasms. Um, yeah. So, like, where? But seriously, though, where did you come to King? What, was it something that you 
did did you like know of King when you were like a kid? Did you read him? Did you see the movies? Like what was what was the my first my introduction to Stephen King was when I was ten years old. Uh, I watched. Uh, oh, sorry, when I was nine years old, I watched Stand by Me, and I fell in love with that movie, and I especially was in love with Chris Chambers, you know, River Phoenix's character. And uh, I'd done a little bit of acting, but, um, and I'd done like a, two tiny parts in, in plays. But when I saw River Phoenix, I was like, I want to be an actor. You know, it was so magical. Right. And then I orgasm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but then. And then um, he sang yesterday to you. <laughs> That's the um, new euphemism. <laughs> and the first book that I ever read by Stephen King was It, and I loved it. And and how then, old were you? I was twelve. Oh, right on. So the perfect that's, age that's to read about, it. Right? That's about yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, I was really scared by it. I was very scared by it. But but for me, that you know, and this is just my, I guess, personal taste that or whatever. The thing that hit me the most was uh, the relationships between the friends, just because that was. You know, and I had really, really close friends when I when, when I was twelve, and uh, you know, it was kind of the same thing as as uh, it's in Stand by Me. It was, you know, there is, you know, it's like that line. He's like, "There's, there's no friends like the friends you have when you're twelve. You know, and totally, I, I, totally. and uh, and that still is such a, uh, you know, I feel like there's been these benchmarks in my life where I feel like I hang on an age for a longer period of time than that <laughs> than than a year, and I felt like twelve. I still see myself as 12, 17 and like 22 or something, even though now today I'm 26, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, we were debating before the show whether or not you were the youngest guest we have ever had. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of old, old people that like Stephen King like us. So <laughs> the cool thing about Stephen King, though, is I feel like it's just it seems like, uh, you know, young kids are comp- are totally into it. I mean, I, I feel like even the obsession with uh with stranger things is a total it's it's, right. it's totally from the king universe you know and, and uh so my origin story then i when i met um i was 16 and i met josh boone and he and he, have you guys had him on the show not we yet have not. No. you have no, to have him on the show because he i mean he created the stand but he's he's just all time 10 out of 10 stephen king fan obsessive but i at like 16 when when i did the movie them he wrote in a scene where i it's the movie's called Stuck in Love, where I spoke to Stephen King on the phone, and uh, and I had been ready to speak on Steve, to Stephen King the whole shoot. I was really excited about it, and then last minute it didn't work out schedule wise. So Greg Kinnear, who played my dad, actually filled in and did a Stephen King impression while I talked. To him. <laughs> he <laughs> threw on the main good. accent and everything. Yeah, he was like, "Hello, I'm Stephen King." I was like, "Greg, just do your own voice." But, um, <laughs> but um, so that was a little bit of a that was a little bit of a, a a bummer. But then when I saw the movie together, you know, they Stephen King really did do the voice. You know, he 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 came in and did um voiceover in a voiceover studio. And now I'm in a stand and, you know, according to Josh, he really loves it and loves, you know, what I did with uh, Lloyd and stuff. So but I still have yet to to meet him, which is uh which is a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to meet him. Oh, but Josh got me into, you know, so I had never read the stand. So then he had me read the stand when I was 17, um, right after we finished. And, you know, I, I, I think it's my favorite of his, his books mm-hmm. that I've, I've read, you know, it's just such an epic and a classic. And also I really responded to a lot of the satirical comedy in it. And, uh, 
And then when I was, when we were on doing press for Josh's second movie, The Fault in Our Stars, he said to me, you know, I want you to play Harold in an adaptation of The Stand. Like, you know, you've got to, we're going to do it, you know, and, and somebody overheard our conversation and, and it got reported in like the Hollywood reporter, Nat Wolf playing Harold in The Stand or something before he even had rights to the book or anything like that. <laughs> Cut to nine years later, I've I've aged out of a couple of different parts, and then I got to play Lloyd, which I think was actually my favorite character. And uh, and and uh, you know, it's actually happening. But it was really funny. I was like, I've been so I've been attached to the stand since like 2012 or something. I'm I want to loop back around to something you kind of touched on a second ago. You you were talking about um, folks your age. Yeah. Uh, you say kids. I don't really think of them as kids, but you know. Well, I was saying the kids even younger than me. I was saying, you know, I. I I think the idea that, you know, my girlfriend's little sister is nine and, and she's, you know, obsessed with stranger things and obsessed with, uh, and so excited about me being in the stand and, and, uh, you know, watch stand by me and, and that kind of thing. I think it, it, I just think that Stephen King is hopefully is just, you know, goes from generation to generation. It's kind of like the Beatles, you know, it's, it's, it's when something's oh, sure. that yeah. great and it hits the zeitgeist and then it's also deep. It's just like once in a generation thing. Most of the people we have on the show are roughly our age. And so they grew up in the... Which is, you guys are both in your deep 70s, right? Yes, yes. correct. Uh, we grew up in the late 80s. And everyone who's our age that came on the sh- has come on the show, we all got into the books because we were attracted by the covers. You know, the, uh, the painted right. covers that used to be on hardcover Stephen King books were just gorgeous, you know, uh, and it would, yeah. you know, they, and they're kind of creepy. So you'd be like, oh, what's this all about? And you'd get involved right. with it. So I'm kind of curious if you have any thoughts on what is what is drawing the younger generation to King these days? Um, I think it's probably the movies, you know, um, I mean, I, I don't know. It's not like Stephen King has ever gone out of the mainstream, but I do feel like it brought a whole new generation of Stephen King readers. You're not wrong. And I, what's funny about it is I, I think you can trace the miniseries it to keeping him at the forefront mm-hmm. uh, because that yeah. people forget. And we've talked about this on the show a couple of times, but people forget what an event that was in the early nineties. That was must watch TV. That was like the end of mash. You know, everybody fucking watched it. It was, it, it was, was just a, people gathered really together. Right. Was yeah, that the, the same way with the stand miniseries? It, it I, was, I don't yeah. even know. Yeah. The stand, we were both a little older for, okay. but like when the it miniseries, it was the it miniseries is what? 90, 91 ish. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't even a teenager yet. It just scared the fucking bejesus out of like every kid that watched it. And of course they're, they watched it because like, as Eric said, like those miniseries back then were like event programming. You didn't have 600 channels like you have now, Right. you know, you had about 50 at best a big title like that being done by ABC, which is an insane thing to think about now. And it means (laughs) airing on ABC, but you know, I remember going to school the next day and just being like, Oh, it was so scary. And I, I had nightmares and you know, every, this was all anyone was talking about it. It was right. Right. It was like, it was a, it was, it hit the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It hit the playground. zeitgeist hard, you know, Well, what's like you, it was also, uh, network television so it's not like you know there there was a barrier of entry to see it right uh, you know, any, everybody had had those channels and it's about kids the first at least the first half is about kids and the clown is such a an iconic like bad guy image 
that like it is super appealing. I think probably a little bit more to kids specifically than the stand was because the stand was more of of a bigger story, but like it specifically is such an entrance point. Yeah. And I think that's the same probably with this it incarnation because, you know, I know that, I mean, that first movie I loved, you know, and I thought those kids were, were brilliant. I would say that that movie didn't, didn't, I wouldn't say it's, scared me but i feel like if i was 12 that would have also terrified me you know oh, yeah, right. yeah yeah it takes a lot for a movie to like a horror movie to scare me at this age at this point in the timeline you know yeah but it kind of felt like that version of it wasn't really about that you know it was about these and those kids are just such good actors so i i do feel like that was a uh just from you know having this uh my my girlfriend's little sister as a reference point you know, and her loving that movie so much and then I mean, I'm not saying she's reading, she's really, you know, she's nine and I'm not saying she's reading a bunch of Stephen King, but (laughs) just that that it does feel like it's the adaptations end up making it be part of the culture. It sounds like in the same way in the early nineties, anything that can get young people to read is amazing. That's what I felt. I felt really, that, that, that was probably my biggest pride in being part of John Green's adaptations of, of Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns was just the fact that that all these young people were reading and, and loving these books. You know, it was and it was, um, you know, especially in this day and age when you could just be on TikTok or whatever. And, and I really love being part of things that are adaptations of, of books. I think they um, it's also rich for as an actor, it's you know, sometimes if when you don't have a book or something to fall back on, you know, you can really get talked out of, you know, making some kind of exciting extreme choice by some but if you have, you know, if somebody tells me, you know, don't go so far with Lloyd or something, I can point to the book and say, this is a there, this character is insane. (laughs) Read these, you know, so it's and, that, and that's something that I know a lot of actors, we've interviewed some, some people who have like uh, starred in King stuff before and, and Scott and I have been like in the blogging world forever. So we've interviewed many, many actors who've done adaptations and there's, it seems like you fall into one of two camps. It's either, no, the script is my story and I, I'm not going to read the book. Uh, Dee Wallace said she was this way when she made Cujo. She loved the character on the page and that's what she wanted to do. She didn't want to try to change it and make it more like the book or whatever. And that she was worried if she had read the book, mm-hmm. she would do that. So there's that. And uh, in keeping in the Stephen King world, I um, uh, I interviewed Bill Skarsgård around the release of the first It. And oh, yeah. he took the exact opposite approach because there are whole chapters in It that are from Pennywise's point of view versus the script never was from Pennywise's point of view. It was always from the kids. Right. So he felt like, you know, he was able to enrich his character with that. And it sounds like you're in that that camp as well. I definitely fall more into uh, that camp for sure. For me, reading the stand, like I, you know, there there were things when when uh, I originally read the script for for the second episode of the stand, they just had me talking, you know, in jail talking about how I robbed a convenience store and stuff, and and mm. you know, and then I said to Josh, like, this is my uh, one of my favorite parts of the book is the spree that they go on with the pokerizer and all this stuff, and uh, right, and Josh said, I know me too, but it's a budget thing, and they're trying to do that, but then me just putting that out there somehow. It, you know, it got back in the script. So just knowing the book also helped with, you know, shaping the character, especially because in the stand, there's so many different characters that you could kind of get lost. But, you know, in a, in a show where there's only nine episodes, but everybody, I think, 
I think everybody in this cast was a real, real big fan of the book. I mean, I know um, Skarsgård would listen to it all the time and, and I would have it on set with me all the time. You know, it was, it's uh, for me, I don't know why you would ignore, you know, a great, a great, you know, something great like that. But I, I get sometimes you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be constricted by the book for um, adaptation. It's got to be, you know, some things you have to take dramatic license with. But in general, it feels like uh, such a good blueprint, you know? I'm I'm glad you, you know, if indeed those talks led to that scene in the gas station. Yeah. Lloyd, I, you know, I'm so glad that's in there. It's one of my favorite scenes in the new, the new version of The Stand. Oh, and, really? Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. I fucking love that scene. Yeah, and, that wasn't even going to be in there. So that's the one thing I can take uh, credit. I'll tell you the, 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 the exact beat that I kind of hold on to with that one. Is when he sneezes and the gun goes off. It's so goddamn funny, a dark kind of funny, but it's it's pitch perfect. And also, <laughs> what you get to see in that in in that scene is the R rated nature of the new version of the stand, which I do think is like Necessary. so important. Yeah, it's so important to. And it's an R rated book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the the ABC version that Mick Harris directed holds like a special place in the hearts of, of many people our age, but right. also it's the sort of thing where like, ah, I wish it had a bit of a harder edge. And right. I think the new right. version of the stand definitely provides that harder edge and that whole scene and the gore in that scene really sells it. Yeah. And you know, that, that was also a good scene to show that, that um, this sort of uh, low rent, pathetic nature of Lloyd. So then you realize how, how um, foregone he is and how desperate he is that he would do anything that the the walking man would, would tell him to do, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, totally. It's a perfect introduction to Lloyd because Lloyd is a follower. Right. Yeah, and exactly. that, that is, that, that is his, his character. He is a very intelligent person. He's a, a, so, a sociopath, a little bit of a psychopath. He's a follower. He needs somebody to lead. First it was Polk and then it, it's uh, Randall Flagg. Right. And you know, it's one of those things where I have you, I, have you ever watched one of those documentaries about one of those cult leaders where mm -hmm. they just have this weird charismatic power where they they make people feel like they're important and they're and they have a, a purpose in their lives and then these people that seem relatively sane and normal end up doing these atrocious things you know in order to please these leaders and that, that's what this kind of reminded me of because Lloyd was a low rent criminal but he's so desperate that once flag picks him up he's kind of uh you know he's given a purpose and given this uh this new lease on life but then as the show goes on you know and as the book goes on you know he starts to he starts to feel the weight of his decisions in the same way that people do in those you know and at the same time in the book like lloyd is hilarious you know that the whole vegas section you know there's a lot of comic irony to it it was a feast for me as an actor i assume you watched the the miniseries beforehand or no I actually didn't, but but that was only because I watched a little bit of it and then I kind of got a little bit uh, anxious and I thought I'm going to try to... And, and, and Skarsgård and I kind of made the decision together um, not to because we were going for something different. Right. I'm curious, though. Uh, we've talked about Miguel Ferrer uh, on the show a few times where... You know, we kind of grew up with that guy. He tragically passed away some years ago. Mm. Um, just in general, uh, how do you feel about Miguel Ferrer as an actor? I, he's amazing. Really, really amazing. But, you know, he's a, such an 
like different age and different type from me, you know, so, and, yeah. and, and it's in a different time, you know, when they made it. So my interpretation of it was the whole stand, you know, it was, it was, uh, they were coming at it from a different angle, you know, uh, Josh mm-hmm. wanted bolder people to be like out of an early Spielberg movie. And he wanted the Vegas people to be out of an Oliver Stone movie, natural born killer. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, a, it was, he wanted two extreme, you know, this, 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 this extreme difference between the two things. And I spent like, you know, and, and when, when I started, he just, you know, uh, I sent him a picture of Gary Oldman and state of grace. And he sent me a picture of Nick cage and wild at heart. and, and, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, so it was basically like giving me the, the keys to sort of go for it. And so I spent months trying to, you know, finding this wild physicality and this voice. And, um, that when I got to Vancouver, I panicked and I was like, Oh fuck, I don't know what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, this is too far and they're going to, you know, they should just get someone else. Why am I here? Da, 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 da. You know, the usual actor anxiety. And then I went to a subway sandwich and, <laughs> And it fucking like a virgin, the Madonna song came on the the loudspeaker and I just started dancing to like a virgin and everybody in the subway was looking at me and I was like, oh, I think I got it. And then I was and then I like a virgin by Madonna became the character staple. And I would, that would be like you know, something I listened to beforehand and I was there. <laughs> that is that is fantastic. It's yeah, definitely yeah. different than Ferrer's <laughs> take on the character, which is more smoldering and tough guy. And you're way more unhinged henchman or something. Yeah. 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 I think yours is more accurate to the book. Um, I mean, I saw, I saw Lloyd in the book as being more pathetic um, than I think was played in that miniseries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, he, he plays the loyalty aspect of, of the character very well, but you know, he never has the moment that you have with um, Randall flag in the jail where you look on him like, like he's a God, right? right? You, there's you, you see him as you, we talked about the cult thing. You see him as, as a leader like that, that, you know, was never really uh, a linchpin to that character in the uh, uh, McGarris miniseries. Right. I mean, it feels like uh, just in, from the beginning to the end, it's a, it's a completely different adaptation, you know, it's its own thing. So that's, I totally agree. I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I like the original version, the new shit. I'm like, I'm a big fan of the the nonlinear structure of it. I think yeah. that's going to be the most divisive element to right. fans. Right. You know, uh, right. when you're dealing with fandoms, particularly Stephen King fans, they tend to be very intense, pedantic. Yeah, and and intense, and and sort of like locked into the old ways. Well, it wasn't like this before, but I do think that I'm a fan of the nonlinear structure. I don't know that Eric and I have debated this a little bit, but my final ruling on it is like, I I think it might be difficult for people that are coming into the story new, but I also like, I'm not a film critic anymore. I don't have to speak universally to, to people's tastes or, you know, be a, a guiding point. So for me, a guy that's familiar with the miniseries and the book, like, yeah, fuck it up, man. Chop it and remix it. Like, let's see what happens. Uh, you know, I'm I'm all in on this. It's a very selfish take, and I'm sure that some people are not going to be on board with it. But for me personally, like, I'm I'm all in. Do you have what are your thoughts on the nonlinear nature of the new show? I think uh, for me, I think it. Um, look, there's a certain amount that you just can't get in 
to a show when when you have that long you know it's an epic book you know it's like 10 million pages you know so there's there's and there's 500 different characters so there's certain things that you have to cut and i think in order to encapsulate the entire book and to get to the themes i think that was probably a clever way of of getting you know of Getting everything in there, everybody, and and still telling a, a story. I actually think the non for this is maybe strange, but I actually think the non-linear storytelling might help people that don't know the book as well, because you might have gotten a little bit lost if you were just following the um, you know, you you follow this character and they go, then you follow this character, you know, you if you don't know where it's going, you might have fallen off a little bit. But I think this keeps people guessing in a way that's that's exciting. But uh, the exciting thing about the stand is that it's a risk, you know, you're taking this epic classic, and like you said, you're cutting it up, you know, and you're doing your thing with it. And, and everybody involved, you know, did take a take risks and put themselves out on the line. And, and um, I think it's exciting to be to be part of something like that. And always, when you do anything that's risky, there's going to be people that fucking hate it, and there's going to be people that love it. But I think they did a they did a really, 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 really great great job with it. I mean, I'm like you guys. I haven't seen um, seven and eight and nine, but I got to do ADR on seven, eight, and nine. And there and there's um, you know there's Lloyd gets a really nice arc so selfishly i'm really excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love to dig a little bit more into lloyd and flag's relationship because to me it's one of the most interesting relationships in the whole book and in, in the whole story because flag is such a character who keeps people at arm's length right he he is a he's something to everybody in the story but to lloyd Lloyd's the only one he brings in close and Lloyd also is the first one to see things starting to fall apart with, right. with him. Right. And, and what I love so much about the character is that no matter how psychotic and crazy that Lloyd, you know, can be under the surface when things are falling apart, he still, at least in the book, he has an opportunity to get out and he's like, I would still be in that jail cell if it wasn't for this. I owe him right. this. I'm, I'm ride or die with Randall Flagg, essentially. You know, he's like, I'm I'm there to the end of the line. And even when he sees the train going off the rails, he stays with him. It, it, again, it's very rich. I have to imagine as an actor, you see something like that and you're just like, yes, like give me that. that yeah, time. it's such a great art. But, he, you know, even in the book and in the um, and in the show, he also starts to he starts to get really really disgusted by flag you know um i did feel like the kind of person that flag would choose to be his right hand man would have been lloyd because because of his puppy like pet like loyalty those kind of people are very you know and he's he's very easily easy to manipulate because he's very in need of of um validation and no and so it was yeah it was a big it was a big exciting uh, feast as an actor and i think it was the same for alex and for for everyone yeah what was it like acting opposite randall flag <laughs> <laughs> it was trippy you know especially because you've been reading this guy in the book and then you know and skarsgård does such a good representation uh you know just he's 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 so tall and he's so imposing and and um you know, it was that that jail scene was was for me one of my favorite days of shooting I've ever had. 
you know, because it kind of felt like we could do no wrong, you know, and uh, the whole shoot almost felt like living in a dream, you know, a little Mm -hmm. bit like in a waking dream. And that's how I feel about the stand, too, because sometimes things don't completely make sense, you know, but like a dream, but but always emotionally you feel, you know, the truth of it, Feel the truth of it. Yeah. I'd like to point out, though, you made a promise to Paul McCartney that you were going to be a vegetarian, and yet here you are eating your cellmate <laughs> and rats. Hey, meat's meat, my man. <laughs> Do you think, well, hold on a second. Do you think, and, and this is a question for everyone, if you were in a jail cell, it's the exact same situation as with mm-hmm. Lloyd. You know, he's in prison. Uh, his roommate dies. He's just sitting there. You haven't eaten. He can't catch the rat. Like, do you think you could eat a leg? I think I'd probably hit the arm first. Um, <laughs> Why the arm? Well, okay. So, so uh, the leg, I don't know, man. It was, it was, uh, it, when I'd look at the, they had a fake leg with a big hole in it, you know, laying in the jail cell. And it was, it was atrocious. I mean, it was really the grossest thing I've ever looked at. And they had like the rat carcass and then the, the leg and, um, you know, I was ashamed of Lloyd for doing that. <laughs> but not if he had done an arm? No, come on. Eating some I mean, who hasn't eaten somebody's arm? I know your mom has <laughs> uh, <ate> Paul's arm. <laughs> I think I don't know that I could I think if I were in when I've imagined a cannibal scenario before, yeah. I've typically imagined like the alive sort of thing where it's um you know, there's a plane crash. You're in the mountains, you know, but you can make fire. You can cook a leg if you have to. Uh, <laughs> I think the I I think that, you know, if all the chips were down and this was my only choice <laughs> and it was die or take a bite, I, I think I might take a bite. But also, I would assume that leg had been cooked, you know, hitting it raw, though, just raw dogging cannibalism. I don't I, that I don't know. Leg. I'm confused. Where- huh? Do you have a grill? Where are you going to put the leg? Well, that's you- the thing. You don't have it in the prison cell. That's why I'm saying, like in the movie Alive, like they have, like they can build fire and shit. Oh, they can you like can, you could put a leg over leg. over open yeah. flame. Yeah. yeah, raw leg. It's pretty savage. I don't think I can. There's also the a decomposing leg. aspect of it too, right? Like, at what point is it is it just going to poison you eating meat that's been sitting and baking in a prison cell for? It's know, probably not a good idea. Look, let's be like we can get we can all agree here that if you don't have to eat a raw human leg of a dead person, you shouldn't. Right. I'm sitting here thinking about how many days I would give it and like how many would be acceptable to still take a bite. And I think after three days, I think that might be the time. You're like maybe 47 minutes. Um, yeah, but the well, longer you wait, the more meat you're wasting, my man. It's well, gonna get rotten. I'm not going to eat a whole fucking cellmate. I mean, come on, like y- you know, I think I would, I think I would feel so humiliated, and also just, I think I would probably, you know, immediately puke it up or something. A rat, I could probably do, but again, it's it's raw. I don't like that aspect of it. I think I the think cooking thing is a bigger easier, problem for I me. Think it, right, I think it'd be easier with the rat than the leg. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Eric, what about you? I'd fucking pick Would you, you eat clean. Again? Man, man, I can stay alive. Sure, you need a what? I'd fucking eat you living. I don't care. No, now, now no, see, I, I mean, you, listen. You know, now there's a struggle involved. I don't want to work for my dinner, especially after this past <laughs> year. I just want it delivered, cooked. You know what I'm saying? 
What if it tastes to- great? Like, what if it tastes like the best Texas barbecue you've ever had? Fuck. Well, you, can you I find that very unlikely. Then you become then you become Hannibal Lecter, and you're just you're just fiending for it. <laughs> yeah, you're just why like, not? I found a new uh, calling, guys. It's great. I'll I be the post apocalyptic Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, I had another question, and now I'm forgetting. You got one, Eric? Uh, no, man. I'm I'm. Uh, I think we've covered many of the bases and most of the stuff that we can cover without getting into deep, deep spoiler territory. We covered your mother's um, orgasms. We've co- yeah. covered uh, <laughs> eating legs. Yes, the standard format for every a episode bit of, of the Stephen show. King. <laughs> just a tad when are you going to get to see the rest of it I just actually sent an email because I wanted to see those episodes but um, maybe the CBS maybe maybe this podcast we can say CBS please send Nat the rest of the episode yeah and Eric and Scott we all need these final episodes yeah no so <laughs> I'm, I'm um, yeah CBS please yeah I will I'll just send it over but but maybe I'll just be seeing it with everybody else you know but I'm really excited about, you know, it's it's the kind of show where, you know, the F- Stephen King obsessive fans seem really hyped. And then also people who don't even know really anything about Stephen King seem really excited about the series. So. So, yeah, I'm 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 really proud of it. Our episode last week, we had we had Taylor Elmore on and uh, Ben Cavell. Ben, yeah. Ben's the showrunner. Taylor's yeah. the, the executive producer of the show. And I asked them this question. I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask you as well. Yeah. Um, on the eve of this thing dropping, we're recording this the day before the stand drops. Like, how are you feeling? Are you feeling nervous? Are you feeling excited? Like, where's your head at? Well, for me, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, for them, I, I, you know, when you're a showrunner, it's a completely different thing for me. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, ex- I'm just excited for, for people to see this, this, uh, and see what people think of it. You know, I don't have the, I'm not, really that nervous about it i think because you know i'm just a i'm a piece in the in the puzzle you know but the but i can see for ben and for taylor that's it you know they've put in you know i haven't been working on the stand since since march so it's almost like you do a job and then you kind of forget about it and then it comes back like a year later and you're like oh wow that's so crazy that it's you know um but you know there's been a lot of things i've done that i've been um you know, just disappointed in the final result of, or, 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 you know, not, uh, you know, didn't fulfill my fantasy of it, but, but so far with these episodes and just my experience making it, um, it's been, it's been a dream experience. Right on. I'd love to end by talking about the time in which this is released. Um, there's been, I know some people going, Oh, I don't know if I can reread the book in COVID times. I don't know if I can watch, watch a a series in the, you know, in COVID times. I ha I, my theory is that this is going to be fucking huge. Uh, I think people need the pressure release, you know, I I think people lives, but worse, you know, and this is definitely, you know, COVID is just horrible and, and, and it's really disturbing just to hear. 300,000 Americans are, you know, are dead. Um, but, you know, but, yeah. but, but this is Captain Trips is definitely worse, but it follows some of the same trajectory. I mean, it was eerie for me because I was, I was shooting, you know, up until March 5th. And then I was in court. I, I wrapped on March 5th. I was in quarantine on March 10th. And then like a couple weeks earlier, I was shooting a scene where I was throwing toilet paper through a jail cell you know, and lighting it on fire and throwing it through. And then I read online, that's what prisoners in Italy were doing that day. I'm like, you know, so it was all fucking really eerie. 
I think that the escapism aspect of it, I mean, you just keep whenever um, the lockdown went in full effect, the number one movie streaming movie was Contagion. Yep. Like uh, people, yep. b- people need to have something to to look at and put their life into context. Yeah, and be, like totally. you said, yeah. trips is so much worse. So there's a weird. Uh, feeling you get watching it going, at least it's not as bad as this. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Oddly comfortable. Oddly or comfortable. Com- or comforting, I should say. Yeah. And comfortable. <laughs> well, it's comfortable if you're in your pajamas and watching it at home, which is probably what everybody's doing. Yeah. Noshing on a leg and, and uh, watching here. <laughs> and every time you queue up an episode, it's like somebody just started playing yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and callbacks. Yes. Well, right. thank you so much, Nat, for, for joining oh, us. This thank you guys fantastic. so much. I, I love this podcast so much. So thank, thank you guys for having me. Well, on. please on. come on for a, a non-stand show. You know, okay. pick out a yeah. title, get in touch. We'd love to have you back. Well, thank you guys for, for, for talking to me. And, and I hope that that uh, I hope that your mom doesn't kill you after listening. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Nat. All right. Talk to you. Thank guys. you, sir. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>